for me personally, if I'm not doing well in business and finance and in my goals, I'm not feeling very good about myself. And then also like that translates to all your other relationships, right? So it can be this kind of negative cycle. And so once you snap out of that and you start putting some wins on the board and getting some points on the board, you can quickly reverse that whole thing into the opposite. And it's crazy how that momentum builds. Hey y'all, it's Eunice Garcia, the producer here at Housing News, and today we have a conversation between Clayton and Neil Dingra, the chief executive officer at Forward Academy, where he talks about how he grew his business using social media, how he went from being 35, drowning in debt with a failed business, to now being 40, a millionaire with a successful business. He also explains why the company we keep can affect your success and what he learned as an originator in 2022. Enjoy the episode. Neil, thanks for joining me on the Housing News Podcast. Hey, man. I'm stoked to be here. This is fun. I was uh, I, I was just telling you, I, I started hearing your stuff and been been a fan of the podcast. So then I was like, man, I got to I gotta collaborate with Clayton. So I shot your DM and then a couple weeks later, here we are. Dude, it was perfect timing. I think one of the most important topics of 2023 is – some of this entrepreneurial focus and having the right mindset and preparing yourself and preparing your business for you know what, what might be a tough year in 2023 for for some businesses but like we there will be a trough and there will be another side of this and without the right preparation without having the right tools in the toolkit without the right mindset people will will miss that opportunity to to grow as this market you know finds its footing 100% and um you know, uh, you, you've talked to people who have been in the game, you've been in the game for a while. And I've been it's in this industry, you know, 20 years now, and it's all about peaks and valleys and, uh, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And, and it's that roller, it's at a roller coaster of cycles. And, um, if you, you know, it makes people nauseous a little bit now, you know, when you see these extremes. I just got back this afternoon from from Las Vegas. I was out for the uh, the ICE uh, Experience Conference. It used to be the LMA Experience Conference, and had that conversation with more than a few executives. And uh, it's pretty clear when you kind of get up to some of the C suite leaders who have been through multiple cycles that like twenty and thirty year horizon. Like there's a you know there's there's preparation, but there's still a confidence level that, Hey, we know how to navigate a cycle. We'll figure out how to use it to build a stronger business on the other side. I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean that people like, you know, aren't a little bit hesitant and aren't reducing costs and doing the things that are necessary. But, uh, there's a level of confidence that I, I, you know, I've kind of found, um, exhilarating to tell you the truth. I, I was traveling with my wife and I was on the plane this afternoon and I'm just like, Hey, I don't, always feel different coming back from events, but this event I'm coming back feeling aggressive and motivated. Like I'm ready to put my foot on the gas. And I think the reason why you see that kind of a confidence now is a, they've been through it before, but then anybody who ran their business well, probably saved a few nickels over the last, you know, a couple of years, right. That 2020, 2021 cycle was a boom. Like I had never seen before. I mean, it was insane. And right. So there was a lot of just excess as far as, as far as earnings go, but at the same time, not the excess as, as far as what I'm seeing from, from the seasoned group of like, Hey, let's plan for the future. This ride will end. This is, we're used to this ups and downs. So this is, you know, this is great, but we know what's coming. And no matter how many times, you know, that cycle, it still catches you a little bit off guard. And this one did because of the speed at which rates rose. I mean, we went from three to six in probably, a, an, I don't remember, 60, 90 day window. That is historical. I mean, that that speed of the rise, right? So it's not necessarily saying that six and seven rate, percent rates are the death knell. Well, not necessarily, but when you go from three to six in, in two, three months, the market doesn't have a time to adjust. And then you're in shock for the next 90 days, right? Because everything's trying to catch up. Yeah, that kind of velocity is what shocks the market. But um, yeah, and it's like, you know, you can, history repeats itself, but it doesn't always look the same. And uh, this was a this was a level of velocity we haven't seen before. Yeah, so that caught people a little bit off guard. But, you know, once you adjusted, so now we're, you know, what, um, 
you know, rates started really rising second half of 2022 and they continued into uh, the end of 2022. And then we saw a little relief in January and I see, I I literally see people's moods change based on, you know, inflation data now, you know, you see good inflation data, uh, meaning good, meaning it's coming down. People start getting really hyped up for the future, but I think they've come to terms with now, okay, we see, we see this, we see that mortgage rates are tracking inflation. We listen to Logan. We, we know how this, how this works. Okay. So we know that when inflation cools off, here's what's going to happen. Also, I think a lot of people, once they dug into the data, they got comp, they got comfortable with the fact that the market isn't going to crash. This isn't another 08 scenario. So I think now, like, you know, we're into this a little bit, the true players, the weak players got shook out, you know, and, and that has to happen. I think we reached a peak in terms of licensed LOs in April of last year. So that had to come down a little bit, which is normal for any market. But I think now the guys who are there who are are looking ahead, right? They know right now we're in a tough season, but they're looking to the second half of this year. And when I look to the second half of this year, I'm pretty pumped up about the opportunities ahead of us. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too. We, we were just talking about some of our plans for our event, Housing Wire Annual, and um, I'll have to, let me know if you have any ideas here. But we're trying to like build a theme around like there there will be a, a trough at some point in 2023, and when our event our event in October, it could very well be timed as kind of like the starting line of of the next of the next run of the of the next cycle the upswing of of origination volume and a and a healthier market for mortgage and real estate professionals so we're trying to kind of build around that idea that hey we're not blind to the fact that 2023 is is going to be tough but um there is another side of this and i'm in this game for the long haul the folks who read Housing Wire and come to our events are in this for the long haul. The folks that are loyal to Forward Academy and, and your Forward event that we'll go deeper into are in it for the long haul. So like, how do those people use this year to build, to get, to get stronger, to get the right people around them? Like that's the stuff that, uh, you can't lose in a down cycle. 100%. And you know, you talked about a little bit of mindset and I think it is, that is so important. It sounds kind of hokey, you know, How's your mindset going to help when the market is what it is? Well, I'll tell you what, deals are still closing. There's still opportunities out there. There's things to look forward to. There's things to get ready for. And if you are talking to people who are like, man, this is terrible. Um, You know, rates are going to go double digits and who knows what's going to happen then. And, you know, we're in for, you know, some of these wild scenarios, right? Um, you're going to be negative and you're not going to see, you know, those opportunities. So this, I found that by look, by at least being around these people who are like, okay, yeah, it's a tough season, but we're going to get through it. And also here's the opportunities we're seeing in the current market. Here's how we can survive. And here's how we can thrive in the next upswing and making sure you're having those types of conversations. Those are the people you're listening to. Those are the podcasts you're listening to. Those are the people's content you're following on social, because I don't want to be delusional either, but I think you do need to be, uh, look, you know, optimistic because if not, you'll, you'll find all you see are the negative stuff. You know, there's plenty of negativity out there. So it's like, what are you looking for? Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find in the market. So Neil, for, for our audience, um, who doesn't know you, you're pretty prolific on social hundreds of thousands of followers. Like I think Instagram is Instagram, your most engaged account. Is that where you get the most action? Yeah. hundred percent. Because, um, obviously Instagram took off for me first and on because of short form content really, and because of the um, community building aspect on Instagram. So uh, it's a little different than like, I'm an older guy, you know, I'm in my forties now. Uh, I still have a TikTok, but I just, I'm not really like, I don't relate to it as much as I do with my audience on Instagram. Cause Instagram is like, you know, millennials. I'm, I made, by the way, I'm a millennial by one year. I got it 1981. I was the last, I'm the oldest millennial in the room normally, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it's the biggest segment of millennials on that platform right now. And there's a great community building feature because you have feed content, you have stories and you have direct messages and it's a great way to stay in contact and really build a, a really cool community. My team at housing wire calls me a geriatric millennial and, and I'm 85. You're like really geriatric, man. Yeah, man. Tell them <laughs> that Neil's yeah. Tell them Neil's got you beat. Yeah. Just barely made it. Okay. So to frame this conversation, um, and I, and I, I'll preface this. I know you kind of flywheel your content. I use some of like your Instagram content on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter and 
Twitter works better for this conversation purposes. So I pulled some of the the tweets that I thought were really interesting. And this one kind of flows right into you talking about like age and mindset. So there's a tweet that you posted, things I know in my 40s that I wish I knew when I was 21. And it kind of goes into your circle directly reflects who you are as a person. If you're friends with broke people, you'll stay poor. Friends with smokers, you'll smoke soon. Friends with alcoholics, it's a matter of time until you until you drink. Same goes for rich, successful, and happy. Thought that was a really powerful message. So tell us a little more, a little bit more about the things that you've learned that you know in your 40s now that you wish you knew 20 years ago when you were starting in the mortgage industry. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it's obviously being around the right people who are thinking about growth, who are thinking about new ways to do things, innovating, and then all of a sudden you start. So like I didn't consider myself a really creative person, but when I started talk, following people and learning from people who are creative, I got better at it. I remember um, even on Twitter, you bring up, right? I wanted to get better at writing. So I started tweeting. And so if somebody told me the other day, like, hey, Neil, you just now are starting to get some engagement on Twitter. How did that happen? Well, I went to my main page and I look at the top and it says there's 5,200 and some odd tweets. So I just screenshotted that and I was like, here, you know, this is how you get good at Twitter. You literally tweet 5,000 times over three years and then eventually your writing isn't bad. Like it's decent, right? And then now I still have a lot to learn. But um, yeah, it's just being around the right people, doing new things. And I started, the reason I started doing that was because I got burnt out on a lot of the traditional stuff. But I, Clayton, I started doing that stuff 38. So like, I wish I would have started, imagine where I'd be if I started doing that when I was 28, right? And so it's never too late, by the way. You know, I had a guy uh, speak at my event recently to my to my group of, which is like a high level group of realtors and LOs. And this guy's in his 50s. His name is Chris Doe. And he didn't start his YouTube channel till the late 40s. And it's blown up and he's changed his whole life and he loves what he does. And he's educating, you know, millions of people, millions of subscribers on YouTube now. And uh, he didn't learn that until late forties. And so I don't, I don't think it's ever too late, but the thing is, I wish I would have done it a decade before. I wish I would have, you know, started trying new things and learning more. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that when you talk to anybody who's found success with anything, if you ask them, what's their one regret? Like, I don't have any regrets. I'm like, okay, well, you know, foot to foot to the fire. What is your one regret? I wish I would have started sooner. That's it. Right. So I wish I would have hung out with people who are doing X, Y, Z and learn from them. And so once I started that in my late thirties, it totally changed my business. I was able to, you know, 10 X my business and income and team size and opened up all these new opportunities where I was able to like, you know, start an education company. I mean, I would never, never thought I'd be an educator. I was an introvert. Like I don't even post anything on social media. And all of a sudden now I'm teaching people about how to do that. Right. So all these kind of opportunities that you don't even know exist can be there for you if you're around the right types of people and if you're consuming the right type of content. So I love Twitter for that purposes. You can really curate your feed. I know it's a little hokey with the algorithm now. Sometimes you get weird stuff there, but for the most part, you can follow the right people and you can get the right messages, you know? So when you talk about surrounding yourself with the right people and like that message of the same goes for rich, successful, and happy, and I recognize this might kind of get into pretty personal territory, but how have you, like what decisions have you had to, to make to prioritize spending time with people that you want to model match, that you, you look up to and that you'd be happy and excited to be like at a point in your life? And then uh, reduce the time you spend with people who, you know, may pull you into bad habits or, or put you in a mindset that isn't where you want to be for yourself or your family. Yeah, that's a great, great point. So I think I had friends, you know, coming up, everybody has that friend who's kind of like wants to go out and, you know, drink and party and do all these things. And maybe you don't want to be pulled there because you're trying to get healthy now, or maybe you're trying to, you know, improve your life in another way. And you don't want to fall back into those things. So kind of not saying like, Hey dude, I'm cutting you out of my life, but just say, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm just going to redirect my energy elsewhere. And, you know, people get the point of like, Hey man, um, they stop like reaching out to you for, to be that person. So, so for example, you're someone, and I was someone like this, who had a lot of people who just want to talk crap, complain about the world, politics, all this stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'll, you know, get into that conversation once in a while, everyone, but I don't really like it because it leaves you feeling kind of negative, right? And it changes your whole mindset into this cycle of negativity which is not good for anybody. So I would just limit my time with those people. And I know some of them were in my family, like extended family, cousins, brothers, sisters, like not for not close family, but like you might have people in your family where you do hang out 
And there's this guy who's always complaining about everything. And, you know, so I would just limit my time with those people. And then I started focusing more on where are the people obviously already that are in my network that are positive and doing new things and focused on improving themselves. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be super rich. Like I know a guy who is not rich in, in terms of health, but he had, I mean, in terms of wealth, but he is super healthy with like the gym every day. And he has a great relationship with his wife and kids. So that to me is rich too, right? I want, I want to be like that around that guy more because it makes me want to get my ass in the gym in the morning. And it makes me want to have a better relationship with my family. Right. So there's people like that. And I was like, okay, I want to hang around more people like this. And then somebody's crushing it business. I want to hang around more people like this. And then what I found was I wanted to meet people who are higher level people in business and in our industry and outside of our industry, just in business in general, marketing people, you know, some of the speakers at my events that you've seen, like I wanted to get into those circles. Well, how do you get into those circles if they don't even know you? Right. So I think one way I did that was just by putting out, getting good at something, right? And and for me, it was marketing and content. And then you can offer to provide value to people. And some of the value could be just connecting people with other people who could help them. Or it could be hosting events. And you're just literally the host of the party. I remember first time I got to meet you in person, I invited you to come to one of my events. I just And it just kind of worked out timing-wise. I sent you a DM. I said, hey, man, I'm doing this epic event. We have some mutual friends that are going to be there. Tom's going to be there. Uh, you know, Phil Treble's going to be there. Would you want to go? And you're like, yeah, uh, actually, I can go. And I, I think I gave you like four days notice or something, but you showed up. And then I got to hang out with you. And like, so, you know, look to do things that people would want to be a part of, have skills that you could maybe offer to other people. And I found that the best way to network with people who you'd like to get to know is just to offer them some value. You know, that's, it's pretty simple. And that's like a perfect lead into another one of your kind of favorite, one of the pieces of content that I also found very interesting and inspirational. So you shared that at age 35, you were drowning in debt, multiple failed businesses and a family that wasn't proud of you. That, that's a strong statement. Then at 40, I'm a millionaire run many successful businesses and now the family who believes in me fully. So it sounds like this timeline of surrounding yourself with the right people has had more benefits than just your, um, didn't just professionally. I mean, this is like reverberating into how you think about yourself and, um, your happiness at home. Yeah. hundred percent. It's like, you know, you, like you get into that cycle of negativity, you're not looking for opportunities. You're not really trying. And then all of a sudden you find yourself like, Hey, you know, maybe I'm not making as much money as, as I should be, especially if you're in commission only sales, like many of us are right. Like, or maybe you try a side hustle or a business and it fails because it just, you know, you, you didn't really get traction and you gave up. Right. And so then you're constantly like in this thing where you're letting yourself down. And I think it kind of gets you in this negativity. And then, you know, if you're not really, for me personally, if I'm not doing well in business and finance and in my goals, I'm not feeling very good about myself. And then also like that, that translates to all your other relationships, right? So it can be this kind of negative cycle. And so to, once you snap out of that and you start putting some wins on the board and getting some points on the board, you can quickly reverse that whole thing into the opposite. And it's crazy how that momentum builds. And I remember um, even doing my event recently, I was like, man, at the event you were at in 2021, which was hard to do because that was the middle of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Like you can't, you couldn't, I remember trying to get a venue. They're like, man, get out of here. You can't, you can't host events in 2021. <laughs> like, what are you crazy? Well, that's what you did it at Bradley's like personal office, right? Yeah. I remember like, Hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to pull this off. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I, I get Bradley, you know, my friend to let me use this facility cause it's private and they won't, uh, you know, we don't have to deal with all the rules. Uh, hopefully I didn't break any laws, you know, but I said, okay, I'm going to do it there. And then I'm going to get Tom and I'm going to, you know, pay these speakers and, and reach out to people. I'm going to get people to come speak at this and I'm going to get it catered. I'm going to spend all this money and figure it out. And how many tickets have you sold? You know, how are you going to get people there? Well, I haven't sold any tickets. I'll figure it out though. You know what I mean? Put some pressure on your shoulders. And then what I found was it was really hard, but I it just personally invited people and I got there. And I remember thinking at that event, like, oh man, this is amazing. I like pulled this off. It was I didn't lose a bunch of money on an event, which is normally, you know, if you ever do events, your first event is usually a money losing proposition because of all the costs associated with events. I was like, man, I didn't really get hurt that bad there. I got to meet with people and I did it. Pulled off an event that people flew from all around the country to see. And it was in the middle of a pandemic and it was great. Cool. 
then I was like, man, he doesn't get any better than this. And then next year I did the same thing, but 10 times bigger with even bigger speakers. And, you know, I spent probably half a million dollars on that event for my own pocket, right. To put that thing on. And it was wildly successful. Like people, the fee, I was looking at feedback from it from last year because we're setting up the website for this year's event. And the feedback was insane. Like, uh, and this like unsolicited feedback, people sending you messages of like, man, that's one of the best events I've been to or the best event I've been to. I learned so much. And thank you so much for doing this. You're doing so much for our industry. Um, and it's just because it's different, you know? And, and so like, yeah, I, I think of like that momentum, like you start with putting something on the board, like, what could I do this week? Well, this week I could probably host a little meetup. So what's your goal? My goal is to, you know, host bigger events and make an impact in our industry. Okay. Well, let's start somewhere. Cause if I look at the end, the last event, I'd be like, how the heck can I get there? And a lot of people just see that and they're like, oh, I want to do that. Well, they didn't see the fact that I did like 14, 15 ones before the first one where nobody showed up. And then I got 14 to 20 events where maybe eight to 10 people showed up. And then I got a little bit better and I wasn't, I didn't suck from speaking, you know, like you, you start to get slightly better. You improve your network. It's just like that momentum keeps building and then you get more confident too. And then I think that confident leads into now you get more business. Now you do have the confidence to start that side business and it takes off and you just start winning more. I think like winning in and of itself is like uh, a momentum thing. Yeah. And so I think like one of the things that makes you unique is that you're not just a content creator and like the content creation takes a lot of time. Event organization takes a lot of time. You also originate mortgages. And so like the value you're bringing to the audience, the value you're bringing to your followers is the expertise that you've developed with 20 years in the mortgage industry. So as you thought about branching outside of the playbook you had been following for the first 15 years of your career, were you thinking about like mortgage industry objectives? Like, all right, this event's going to help me recruit, or this event's going to help me build relationships with my referral partners. Or were you thinking this is business diversification? Like what mindset did you go into this stage of your career with? Yeah. So 2018 uh, was like that kind of low point of like, Hey, and if you remember anybody listening or watching 2018 was a bad year for the industry. Uh, a lot of layoffs wasn't anything as bad as last year, but there was definitely a, you know, rates had gone up into the fives and sounds kind of cool right now to say fives. I wish we were in the fives, but I remember at the time it was like, man, this is a tough year and it was slow. And I was like, I need to do something different. So I started doing the content stuff. But uh, when I got into starting to do events and micro events, I was thinking first and foremost, I could use it as a way to get more referral partners, like get, you know, what do real estate partners need? They, they would love help with marketing and, and growing their business. Like that's their number one need. If you ask any agent, like what's your number one need in business right now? I need more escrows. I need more clients. Okay, cool. Well, what if I has hosted a little workshop where we could do things that would get you more clients where you could learn some new tactics, right? So in the beginning, it was like, Hey, let's get realtor partners there and let's educate them. Right. And, um, and, and help them. And then follow up afterwards and you maybe get some business out of this whole thing. Right. And it was more like, Hey, just give value. This is, this is a high level of giving value. And then also saw that, Hey, if I am somebody who's not known and I'm not a speaker, how do I get, uh, accelerate that, that factor of like being known in the marketplace? Well, you could be the host of the event. Like say, I want to be a speaker at all these events. Well, nobody's going to call me to speak because they don't know who I am. They don't know about my expertise. And I may be, maybe I'm not even an expert yet. And maybe I suck at speaking. Well, you don't have to be the best speaker and the best teacher in order to just host the event. So my first thinking was like, what if I just brought in some great minds and my speech maybe is not the best one of the day, but I'm the host and it was, that's how that was, I was thinking. So earn your stage time that way. Yeah. Like you're, you literally bought, you made, you couldn't, nobody put you on their stage, you know, you build your own stage. You know what I mean? So I started thinking like that and I saw how, um, people just treat you better, right? They're like, oh man, you, you hosted a great event. We'd love to chat with you. Here's some more opportunity to come your way. Right. Here's a, here's a, we're thinking about doing this development and would love to talk to you about it. Well, Hey, why am I getting that conversation? Well, it's because they saw me doing all this cool stuff. Right. So I think, um, in terms of, of my first thought was business development, but then what happened along the way was a lot of people within the industry started asking for help with the very same thing. They're like, Hey, you do all these videos. How do you do that? And I'm happy to jump on a zoom call and I'm happy to send people a DM response of the equipment I'm using, or here's a script idea or whatever. But it got to be the point where like maybe more than half of the messages I'm getting are from real estate and mortgage people asking how to do marketing better. 
So I'm like, man, this is literally, you know, like there's a voice up there telling me, Hey, you know, you're, you're teaching people things and they're asking for more and you can really help these people. So I, my first thing was like, okay, well maybe I could put together a little course for these people. I was not trying to like, Hey, I'm going to become a course seller and, you know, quit mortgages. I was just thinking, Hey, I love this part of my job more than anything else. I love marketing. I love content creation. It's my passion. And I can help people within the industry do the same thing. Like not even about the money, right? So I remember making a first product that's worth thousands of dollars and selling it for $300, right? Just because it wasn't really about the money. It was just like, hey, how do I help more people? And uh, and that product is now turned into like, we have a thousand plus students. But in the beginning, it was just a small community of LOs and realtors who wanted to learn how they could do content better and how they could get results and grow their business. So um, that is how like I got into education but I wasn't thinking that I would do that from the beginning. It just sort of happened. How has all of that experience changed your mortgage origination business? So if you found that internally you spend time in different places, more time on, on marketing and public facing opportunities and like, how has it changed the makeup of your team, the size of your team? Like give us a little more insight there. Yeah. So I grew in 18 to 20. Uh, I grew my team from like three, it was like kind of like a mom and pop branch within a uh, direct lender. Um, and I grew that to 23 people just through personal brand. And, you know, it wasn't really out there recruiting heavily, but just kind of selectively adding people and growing that. And we did a ton of business and did really well and still do. But what I kind of shifted along the way was like, okay, here's this education thing and, and personal brand building and education and trying to speak in more stages and do all that stuff. And then here's the mortgage business. Now I would definitely make way more money if I just kept all my focus on mortgages because I was making great money. Like it's, it's, a, you know how profitable this business is if you get, if you can scale it, right. It's, it's, it's hard to scale, but when you do scale it, it's amazing. It's like nothing else. Right. I, I, I vaguely remember you dropping a W2 on your social media account a few years ago. Yeah. Because like, you know, sometimes people would say, well, who are you to teach this stuff? You know, and uh, you probably don't do many loans. I'm like, well, actually I do. And you, you don't believe me? Here's my W-2. You know what I mean? Maybe that was a bad move. I don't remember. I don't do that anymore. But I remember at the time people paying attention like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should listen to what Neil said because obviously it's working for his business. And I'll give him more credibility now that I saw proof because there's so many people who talk about things on social, but maybe they're not really true practitioners of the thing. So then it's just theory. And everything I'm talking about is actual stuff I've done that worked. And it's still working today, right? So I wanted to make that distinction, which is why I did that. But yeah, like I would make maybe more there. So what I hap what happened was I kind of figured out, uh, you know, that's, it sounds so cliche to even say this, but, you know, you start to make money and you're like, man, uh, money is not the most important thing anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, and I feel even bad saying that because it's like just someone without it, they're probably thinking, dude, stop BSing, you know? Um, but it is true. There's definitely a bar you have to clear before you can say that with a straight face. It's a, there's a, there's an income bar where you can start to have the luxury of that mindset. Yeah. But what I found was, let's just say, for example, and you know, many people are, uh, can relate to this. And for some people that probably think it's, it's like, this is crazy, but let's just say you have met your needs financially, you make enough money to meet your stuff. And now you could go to the next level. Um, what would change? And really what would change is you just probably have more stress and problems. You'd have more people, like, you know what I mean? Now, if you got to like two, three, four levels ahead, then things would probably get crazy. Maybe then you don't have to go to the airport anymore. You could just fly private and maybe you could do this and that, right? And it, maybe you get crazy, you know, things happen and that could change. But I, mem I remember thinking like, hey, the difference between, you know, a couple million bucks and four million bucks or six million bucks, like, and these sound like crazy numbers, but they're, they're, your life doesn't really change. Even like if you think about someone right now who adds an extra hundred grand to their income and they're already above that bar that you talked about, will that change anything for you? Probably not. Maybe you buy another investment or you throw it, throw it into your, you know, your 401k or something for, for, for a rainy day, but like it doesn't really change. Like you're not waking up the next day freaking like, oh, I don't have to work anymore or I'm not, you know, I'm stress-free. Like you probably even have more stress because you probably have other stuff going on. So I just thought, hey, at some point you got to do more of the things you like. And if those are things are tied to business and growth, you're lucky. So if you ever in, in your business career, find yourself in an opportunity where the thing that you love the most incidentally will pay you to do that thing. I think you're freaking obligated to pursue that opportunity because it is so lucky. 
think about how many people just kind of deal with work and look forward to the weekends and deal with work and look forward to the two weeks paid vacation every year. And it's not like their job is terrible, but they don't really love it. You know what I mean? So if you find something within this industry, which is a tough industry that you absolutely love and you people will pay you to do that. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than that. So even if it's less money, I'm cool with that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to shift half of my time from mortgage origination and managing uh, a loan officers to educating because I, it's my passion and I love it more than anything. And, and incidentally, the thing I used to hate the most, which is public speaking, now I love the most, right? It's so fun for me because of the impact it makes if you do it well. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do that. And uh, then I just shifted. So now today, fast forward, like today, 2023, I spend half my time talking to clients, managing loan officers, worrying about guidelines and programs and interest rates. And then the other half of my time I spend on forward, which is we have thousand plus students in real estate mortgage who want to use content to get better. And then we do micro events and big events every year. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. So I'm out there like talking to lenders who are focused on trying to automate their originators, social media accounts and have oversight of all the content that's created and concerned about compliance and brand and messaging. And you're playing a whole different game. So how have you figured out the the dynamic and, and were there any um, kind of speed bumps or, or potholes as, as you built this public persona and started to allocate your time 50% between the the education and events business and the origination business and and, and how has that worked with the direct lender that you're you've been partnered with so incidentally with me spending even half the time growing my brand and business it, it leads to so many opportunities that come easy so even though I'm spending less time on mortgage origination I get opportunities that I would have never gotten like somebody will literally will message you and say hey uh, we're looking for a preferred lender for our team. Would you want to meet up? And those opportunities used to take me years to get in the door and somebody will hand them to you without even speaking to you now because they've seen your videos, because they've seen the, you know, and it's not just for a short period of time, it's for years, right? So I'm not like flexing. I'm just saying like, that's the type of opportunity you can get if you build a powerful personal brand. And so that's really cool. So what happened is my, my relationship with the owner of my company, he understands that I'm not messing around. Like I'm doing this at a higher level and it actually helps my mortgage business. So he allows, gives me that room to do it. Did he, did he see that in year one though? It's like, Neil, get your ass in here and tell me what the heck you're doing on Instagram all day long. Like, was there, was there ever that moment? Yeah, for sure. He didn't, he was not a believer. He was like, man, you know, Hey Neil, I know you're doing a lot of social, but make sure you, you know, take care of the clients and make sure you're doing this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Chris, I'll, I'm, I'm doing it. Don't worry. And, uh, and so it took a time, but then when he saw that it was actually getting traction, um, then he believed same thing with like your family. Like for example, you know, many times you're like, well, you know, these people, obviously my wife believes in me and she, she, she helps and supports me no matter what. But I remember her thinking for a while, like, Hey, you know, it's not profitable in the beginning. You're actually losing money. Okay. So you're spending money on videos and marketing and, and maybe even ads and maybe all these things, and you're not getting a direct return. So if you're spending all this time and you're not, I'm not seeing the fruits of that labor, Hey, we got to have a conversation, right? And so you have to believe in the longer vision, which is probably why it's less uh, common, right? Because it does take a, six months or a year or multiple years to really hit that hockey stick. I feel like it's an asymmetric opportunity and we're used to symmetric opportunities, right? We're used to put in this, get this. And that's how we run our, yeah. And then this is an opportunity where the ceiling is literally gone. It It, it could be, it could be a billion dollars, you know, just exaggerating, but it could be right. But 
what you put in, you don't get out. And so it could be zero. You know, like somebody said, like, what's the, what's the ROI of a basketball? Well, if you're LeBron James, it's billions, right? Like, I don't know. But so what's the ROI of this phone? For me, it's millions of dollars and it's just getting started. Like it could be a lot down the, down the road if you use it correctly. Could also waste your time and cause your business to go to shit, you know? So it's one of the two. Just so happens that like I figured out what works. I do more of that. And then that's what kind of keep, keeps me going. I love your use of the word asymmetric. So I think in like um, entrepreneurship and investing and wealth creation circles um, at like kind of the JV level, there's a lot of talk about like diversification and like using like a fun strategy to be protected and you know, maybe you get a little bit, a little bit of alpha, a little bit of outsized upside, but all wealth, all success, um, whether it's LeBron James or Warren Buffett, has been created through asymmetric risk and um, putting too many eggs in in one basket. And um, ultimately, that's where like outsized performance happens. I so I'm seeing you play a different game. You're, you're you're making a bigger bet on yourself. You clearly have a pretty high tolerance for delayed gratification. Is that something you've thought about before? I think there's two things to that one is, yeah, you have to understand it's a long game and, you know, listening to people like Gary Vee, for example, who would say, Hey, play the long game. Don't worry about the short, um, uh, you know, the, the short term things that people are always concerned with and that the people with the longest time horizon win. And if you think about, if you follow the right people, this goes back to our beginning of our conversation, like following the right people and listening to the right people, like all these people who you talk about on Twitter and all these things, like a lot of them will tell you the same thing over and over. It's like, you know, long time horizon, patience and, you know, being impatient with your daily activities, but patient with the, with the macro, right. And thinking bigger. And so in the beginning, that sounds like just hocus pocus. Cause you're like, man, I need to get paid now. Right. Cause our industry is very transactional. It's like, Hey, what's your pipeline this month? Oh, it's not good. Well, you're, you're not good. Okay. Well, that's, that's a hard business. Like you're as good as this month's sales. Okay. So wait a second, all that 20 years of service doesn't matter. Well, that's the, literally the industry treats you that way. I mean, we just saw, Clay, we saw bil- a billion dollar company, multi-billion dollar company fold this year, right? What was it? Finance of America, public company, just closed the whole thing. All that value evaporated. Why? Because sales went down and they didn't manage it right. Or I don't know the whole details. You probably know, but like, that's crazy to see something that was valued. So, so valuable. All these people just gone. And so that's this industry. It's, it's the other side of asymmetric risk though. And it's the, uh, it is like we, a lot of business operators, uh, especially mortgage banks by design, you use leverage as part of the model. And that is a, that is asymmetric risk. It's just the, the other side. It doesn't always, the, the delayed gratification, the long horizon, um, the creative thinking doesn't always work out. Uh, but in some scenarios it does. So I think here's the answer to the question and, and, and many people would understand this or could maybe get a better understanding because of this. When you think about personal brand and marketing, in the beginning, you don't have to think about it as financial risk. It's just your time. So what do I have to give up? Well, I got to give up a hobby. I got to give up Netflix. I got to give up, you know, whatever, you know, maybe I have to go to work all day. And then at night after my kids go to bed, I'll spend two hours working on content. That's how I did it in the beginning. And then, um, kind of doing both things, right. People start side businesses all the time because they're passionate about something and they didn't necessarily have the time to do it. Right. But they made the time, right. So it's really just your time in the beginning. It's not like it costs a lot of money. You already have a phone. If you don't have a light, it's a hundred bucks. If you don't have a mic, it's a hundred bucks, right? So you can start with just what you got and just start unlocking the knowledge and then practice. Like you suck at first, you get better. It's just reps. Like when I first started speaking, mouth goes dry. I could barely talk, right? You know, very awkward. And then a couple of years later, you're like, okay, I can, I got this, right? You don't get nervous, right? So it's just same thing on video. So I'm thinking like, hey, in the beginning, it's just your time. And then you'll get opportunities that come up along the way where yes, there's an event coming up. Should I go big or should I go home? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to go big. And the the confidence to do that comes from, the micro wins along the way. So I think you got to get some wins because that builds your confidence and your risk tolerance because now you've already made small bets on yourself and you came through and now you can make a bigger bet. How do you think about like self auditing though in a scenario where you have like, okay, you have the entrepreneurial mindset, you're willing to make bets, you're willing to bet on yourself, you're willing to have a long-term mindset. Um, but I've, I've done things that have failed and I've said, all right, time to cut it on to the next one. 
And, um, I'm sure, I'm sure you've had the same experience and I, I kind of watch, um, we, I follow a lot of originators on, on social and there's some people, you know, that are a couple of years into content creation and it just ain't getting any better. So how do you, um, how have you self audited and how have you thought about like, all right, I'm trying this tactic. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to do it for six, 12, 18 months, but there's a point where you have to cut bait and move on to the, the next tactic that is going to get that you might be better at. So how have you self audited and thought about, um, what are you great at? What are you not great at? Yeah, I think that's a great point because you might, uh, be going, you know, really, f- you might be going in the wrong direction. And then now you're going further away from your goals, right? And you have to cut that off and get back. So I think here's how you could do it. Obviously, it takes time. So you want to give it enough time. But at the same time, if you're not seeing any traction whatsoever, you're not getting the business results, then you need to pivot and you you need to work on improvement. So for me, when my stuff was not reaching people, I was like, how do I get it to reach more people? How do I learn more? Okay, so I was constantly obsessed with like trying to figure out how do you make this work? And pivoting. And I see a lot of people to your point of like, hey, they've tried it and it's not working. Well, maybe you didn't pivot. Like maybe you didn't improve. And then for some people, maybe you're just not going to be great on video and that's okay. Maybe you're great at writing. Maybe you're great at like, you don't even have, one thing that people don't realize is on social, you don't even have to be in the videos. You could shoot what's on the other side. I know real estate agents who are deathly afraid of being on video. And they just started simply highlighting properties and talking over it or just putting music over it. I mean, that's a simple strategy, literally like in Texas, right? There's a lot of people that do that. Yeah. There's like a guy who's like doing videos like between like Waxahachie and Frisco and like these amazing houses that, um, you know, are, are expensive here, like seven, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars But like people from the coast look at it and they're like, oh my God, this is like a $10 million house and it's not in Waxahachie. But uh, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. You don't even have to be in the videos, right? Or you could write or you could, you know, curate or, um, you know, you could, you could partner up with people that are great on video, right? And you could do something together where you you run the back end and they do the they could be the public facing person. So there's all kinds of ways around it. But I think like, yeah, if you don't have traction, you gotta you gotta pivot and figure out. And then the other thing is is if your stuff is working, you sh- you'll know. Like people will reach out. I mean, even when I had a small audience, people would reach out and say, Man, I love your stuff. And it's not just like once in a while. It's like, hey, you're getting kind of consistently decent feedback. And it's and the feedback is not just your parents or your, your sister. You know, it's like, hey, random people you see are telling you that they like your content. And then now you, you get empowered to do more. And so you should see those like hints along the way. And it doesn't take hundreds of thousands of followers to change your business and change your outcome if you're selling real estate or selling mortgages and in certain markets i'm like you know let's go back to waxahachie or waco for example if you're hitting hundreds of realtors every single week you could own that market and uh the vanity metrics might not be what you see from social influencers but it doesn't mean it can't work for you yeah that's a great point because people in content are used to like viral tweets and viral YouTube videos and viral reels and TikToks. Okay, well, that's cool when it happens. Let me give you the truth of the matter when that happens. Half the audience is overseas. Okay, when something goes viral, if I look at the real analytics on Instagram, half the audience is in freaking India and China and Europe. Like, okay, well, those people are never going to business with you. It's cool. The number looks cool. You know, a million views or a hundred thousand views. Okay, so let's immediately discount half of that. Next is uh, they're in different markets all across the country, whatever. So like I've had honestly more impact from videos that didn't do well according to the algorithm, but the right person saw them. So like you said, it's the business partner in your market that saw that video, or it's a friend of a friend or a client that watches your stuff. For example, like on Instagram, uh, I found I get the most conversations started from Instagram stories. Instagram stories only reach a fraction of your audience at best 10%, sometimes 5% of your audience when you get to big numbers. So really, if you have 100,000 followers, it looks cool. When you post an Instagram story, you know, you're not reaching anywhere near that. You're reaching 5,000 people, 3,000 people sometimes. And so that's not that many, you know, of people. That's 3, 3%, 5% of the audience. And that's if you do it well, you know, and it's even lower. And so you have to put it in perspective of like, these are your most engaged people that watch your stuff, you're staying in contact with them. How else, How? what other efficiency could you have? Like where you could just literally open up your phone and in 15 seconds, 
relate with a thousand people. Like that, that is the real number of the people who are actually engaged. And if it's a 10 people in the beginning, that's still efficient. If it's a hundred people, you know, it puts it in perspective, especially when you look at live events, you've been there, you're sitting on their state and you're looking at a hundred faces looking at, I mean, it's a lot of impact. That's a lot of people. Yeah, no, it's a, events are, um, I can relate with you there. I mean, they're a high impact, high risk, high reward. The, the, the emotional high on the end of a successful event is something that's like hard to, hard to replicate anything else in, in business. Um, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool thing to do. So Neil, I, as we, as we talk, it's clear that you are a pretty strategic, um, person. You're thinking about where you're headed. And, uh, so, and probably have some pretty clear goals as you look forward for the next three, five years. Like, what do you, what are you building toward? Like, where do you want to be? And how do you want to see your origination business change? How do you want to see your content education business change? Like, what, what are you working toward? So we w- want to keep making, um, doing more of the same, like, Hey, and sometimes I think about goals in a different way. I think about, Hey, uh, how could I help people this week? And I'll remind myself, like, you know, teach something today. I have a reminder on my phone says teach something today or help somebody today. And, you know, so uh, yes, I have great big goals, but then at the same time, those don't mean anything if you're not doing the micro things every day. Right. So, you know, it's obviously stay focused on like continuing to do the things that have served me well, which is, you know, teach and post things and help people. Right. And then the other part of it is like, um, how do I make a big impact within the industry? So initially it was like, Hey, you could recruit, you could, um, you know, you could, uh, build your sales team and help more clients. Right. Um, you could, you could, but now on the education side, I could help thousands of loan officers, get more clients. Like if I, you know what I mean? So I'm going to do both for now, but I'm thinking like longer term, there's probably more impact on the education side. And then on the, on the loan side, continuing to work with the people who have been loyal to me, you know what I mean? Who have helped me and I want to help them. So, uh, you know, giving those people outsized return for sticking with me, meaning like, Hey, if I've got LOs that have been working with me, I want to see them, you know, really do well. Right. I want to do everything in my power to make sure that they do well, because they've been with me since kind of the, the start, you know, and I, I think loyalty is a big thing. So I want to help people who have worked with me and then obviously make a bigger impact on the education side. I think, uh, you know, next step is obviously what I've noticed on education is it only goes so far and events only go so far if there's no action. Right. And there's only going to be a certain percentage of action takers. I get that. That's why it works. Right. Cause most people don't do anything with the information. That's, that's the status quo. But what I want to do is help people take those action steps. So, you know, doing things that are not scalable, like, okay, I have an event that's micro, nobody even knows about it really, where 10 people who are in the education program, which has over a thousand people come to my office for a weekend. And we literally go through the entire playbook and shoot the videos together with my entire media team, the best of the best people I've worked with in the whole time. We all get together on a weekend and that's just for 10 people. Now that's can't be scaled because I can only do it with so many people, but it's cool because when those 10 people leave, they've got their stuff dialed and they leave with actual videos. It wasn't just education. It was like, no, we did the thing that Neil talks about. And it's part of surrounding yourself with the the people that inspire you and you can, you're teaching them, but you're also probably learning from them as, as you go through this process. Yeah. It's super fun. We workshop ideas, you know, Hey, like give us an idea of a content. Like let's all, let's learn this framework of how we write really compelling hooks for videos. And then one of the guys in the class who's brand new to this comes up with something amazing. I didn't even think of, right. It's cool. Just the collaboration and he probably wouldn't have thought of that at his desk in front of his, you know, encompass screen. You know, he had to get out of there and get around, like you said, around people who are thinking and talking about marketing. And now all of a sudden he's inspired because we've spent the last two hours writing, you know, hooks. Same thing, like, you know, you get into that uh, zone. I think it's called um, the flow state for creatives. They always talk about that. So when I want to do a lot of writing for Twitter, for example, I got to get like the right frame of mind. So I'll have to like, hey, put some instrumental music on, you know, sit down in a quiet spot, give your mind some time to think. And then all of a sudden you have no ideas. 20 minutes later, you have a ton of ideas. You know, it just starts coming to you. So um, yeah, yeah, you can definitely doing. So what I think about future is like doing more high impact things like that. They're not necessarily scalable, but they make an impact because those few small people are now going back to their markets totally different with new information and action taken. As you think about the 
the people you need on your team to get to the next level. Um, and I, I love the message of loyalty, seeing the LOs that have been with you for, for years continue to, to grow and scale with you. What do you need those people to, to learn to, to help you take the business to the next level? Or what do you need on the content side? Do you have to recruit more or train people more? Like who do you need around you to, to be the Neil you want to be in five years? Yeah, it's definitely help like from the obviously salespeople, meaning like, Hey, loan partners that could help you originate. And, you know, as you get more opportunities, you may not have time for all of them, right? So you want to still take care of clients that get referred to you. You need more help. You got to hire more people. Um, I've noticed that that was one thing I ignored the beginning of career of like, I didn't understand the value in culture and people. Like, how do you build a good team? And then how do you retain these people? Right? Because they're not all like you. Like I was, I was always like, hey, why isn't this guy working so hard? Or why isn't this gal doing this? Because they're not like you, bro. That's why you're the boss. You know what I mean? Like that's a hard lesson. Or motivations. Yeah. Like what motivates them? Well, what I found is not always money, right? And you know this. Like it's it's like having fun people to work with, being part of a mission, serving people. Like I remember us having a conversation at my event and uh, the team was there and we're like, they had just worked like, you know, seven days that week, no time off. And some of the days were like 12 hour days. And we got to the end of this thing. Like you said, it's like kind of like a high, like, hey, we did it team. And I was like, well, you know, the only way that we were able to put in that level of work and not get burnt out and tired, I know you'll probably be tired tomorrow, but right now you're still, you know, on this energy kick is because of the purpose of what we were doing. We were making a really big impact and it was working. And so you'll find that you'll get these people to rally around you and do that. So yeah, doing more, uh, building really good culture, good people, not just growing for the sake of growth, but finding like the right people on your team is super important for me. So, um, that's one thing. And then the second thing is like, um, uh, you know, I think you could grow so fast that shit breaks. You know what I mean? I've seen that happen. Even when I went from like that one event to 10 times bigger, a lot of things broke along the way. I figured them out and I learned many lessons. Some are costly lessons, but like you do learn, uh, that, you know, kind of a measured growth approach can sometimes be important as well. And I go back and forth between the, the desirability of, measured growth and, um, you know, growth at a rate that causes growing pains. And, uh, and I, I think that I, you, you met earlier mentioned like a level of pressure. Like there's a, there's like a bell curve where if you don't have enough pressure, you're like, you're not growing, you're not being successful professionally, you're not being your best self. Then there's a, a level of pressure that's like optimal. That's like pushing you and your team and the people around you to achieve everything they possibly can and operate at their fullest. And there's a level of, of pressure that starts to become counterproductive and like stress builds to the point where people are, are ineffective. We're ineffective. You get less healthy, you get less energy. And, um, but I think that if, if you can figure out your personal bell curve or the right amount of pressure, um, for me, that's, a that is a pressure level where there are growing pains and things, uh, things break occasionally. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's something I think about a lot. Yeah. And what's cool about this is you understand, cause you're an entrepreneur, you know, you started ventures and like you said, some have failed, some have not worked out part of the pressure and that you like, or you become accustomed to is not knowing how it's going to work out. So sometimes someone will say, well, what are you going to do this and this? I don't know if it's going to work, but that's part of the fun. Like, you know, and I have a high, you know, like, um, odds that it's going to work out when I do something, but it, like you said, there's probably going to be some stuff that doesn't work. Maybe there's some change coming that I'm not even ready for. Maybe somebody's going to cancel on me, you know, the day before they're supposed to be there. Maybe other shit's going to happen. Someone's going to quit or some bad things, you know, knock on wood, but shit happens. So like not knowing and then being able to like still pull it off when these things happen, that's like part of the fun too. And you might think of that as like, oh, that's stress and pressure. You, you Maybe you like that. You know what I mean? Like you said, there's a pressure that's optimal for you. And maybe that's part of the excitement. Because if you knew how everything was going to work, that would be kind of boring for me. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it would just get boring. I would Like I don't know some weeks what we're going to be doing. Like if I think about a year ago to today, I, I had no idea I'd be doing all the things I'm doing today. But that's what's cool. Like that was, and next year, the the fact that that's a possibility for the next year is exciting. It makes you like pumped to get, to keep going. Well, the good news is we both operate in the housing and mortgage industry where um, we're, we're, we're change and not knowing what's around the corner. So it kind of seems to be the norm. So I think we found our uh, optimal sector for the, for the right amount of pressure. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you before you wrap too, like when you talk to all these people, cause you have, you know, connections within the industry, probably at the highest level. Um, 
what you know what do you see in terms of the business going for the for the rest of the year because the common sentiment i'm seeing is like second half of the year things are going to shift like you, you even talked about hey your industry your uh, event in the fall might be the shift start of that shift yeah so i mean i think there's a couple themes that yeah i'm thinking about and, and hearing commentary on um I, you know, it's kind of, it kind of sucks to say, but I don't know if we've seen the worst of some of what we're going to, going to see in the market. So, um, we might not really be at the, the trough point yet. And, um, as, uh, you know, if we see a slower spring home buying season, um, and lower volume, we're probably going to see a little more consolidation on the, on the lender side. And, uh, and that might not be M and A, like some of this might be more failed lenders, um, and some, like uh, we're, we're kind of calling walkover recruiting where uh, teams are just kind of walk, walking over to another bank and th- there wasn't a transaction, nobody got paid. Um, but uh, at least the originators have a, have a home. Um, so that's a, uh, I think that's a dynamic we have ahead of us. Um, that's going to result in kind of continued pressure on the, the rest of the ecosystem. And the vantage point that I have is there are, there are players who did put cash in their pocket over the last few years and um, prepared for a rainy day, have balance sheets that are ready to, um, to be aggressive when other people are fearful and uh, others that just aren't, aren't prepared. And um, I'm starting to get the sense of the people who are starting to kind of like wringle their hands and like, think about like, all right, it's time, it's time to start recruiting aggressively. It's time to uh, think about our M and a pipeline. It's, it's time to start thinking about technology innovation so we can be a winner and a, a fast leader into the next cycle and other people that are going to be sitting, sitting on their hands and, um, and be cash constrained. So like, I, I that's, that's the vibe I'm getting. The, the one theme that I've heard several executives talk about in the last few months is the the mindset of decide and commit like we don't go back and second guess our decisions we don't go back and do the monday morning quarterbacking like we decide we are going down this path we are we're reducing costs and that's the right thing to do we're recruiting originators and that's the right thing to do we're investing in technology and it's the right thing to do once leaders start second guessing themselves as we get new CPI reads or drone pal has some cryptic message. That is when organizations fall apart. So I think it's a really important time to decide and commit and lead your team forward. If you're leading a three person content team or a 3000 person origination team, stability and commitment is going to be really important to decide who succeeds in 2023 when there is so much uncertainty in the market, that uncertainty can't be reverberated through leadership and ownership of businesses in the, in the housing industry. That's huge. Um, one of the things I heard too is lack of communication too. Uh, Renee talks about this a lot, a narrative gap. And we were going through the shift and I know a lot of people at other organizations because I have friends at different organizations, they were telling me they haven't heard from anybody at the executive level. And we're going through this massive shift, the biggest shift we've seen in a decade, the hardest period we've seen in over a decade. And I haven't heard anything from anybody. And uh, I need some help. I need some support. Maybe I just need some freaking shoulder to cry on for a minute. You know, whatever that is, you got to speak up, man. You got to let people know where we're going, what we're headed, what we're going to do. We're going to get through this. And so I think that's a huge piece of this whole leadership thing as well. Yeah. And even if that message is stay the course. And that is, uh, that's something I've been working on organizationally. Not every town hall, not every communication, not every, um, email to the whole company is a change. Sometimes it's stay the course. Like we, we have the strategy we've decided and we committed, keep selling, keep operating, keep creating that. That is the message that, that I have for my team. And, um, I talked to a few originators and like, I'm kind of the painful side of the the industry in the last few weeks who ha- heard from executive teams on a, on a Friday that like, all good, just keep, keep going forward. And then Monday there's a transaction announced and like the company is no more. And um, like, that's the kind of BS that I think will like ruin operators for the long haul. And if those people pop back up running mortgage banks and in, in six, 12, 18 months, like God bless them. There's nobody following them in that direction. So I think honesty is incredibly important, but uh, sometimes, sometimes the message is just, we've committed, we are going forward. This ain't going to be easy, but stay the course, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, that's huge. I agree hundred percent. All right, Neil. Thank you so much for giving us a kind of a look behind the scenes into into your into your life and and your 
journey as an entrepreneur and content creator and and leader. Um, it's been a lot of fun for for me to see you grow over the years that we've known each other. And I and I admit I'm one of those people dropping into your DMs like, Yo, Neil, where's what's that mic? What are those um, lights? Like, how do I uh, look as good as you on camera? Come on, man. <laughs> so uh, thanks for all you do for everybody in the industry. Yeah, man, happy to do it. And thanks so much uh, for this episode. I think this is this is definitely a lot of fun, a lot of value in here too for people. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.